Um, I was uh, mentioned <clears throat> uh, last night in a little Zoom that I was doing, and one or two of you were on. I mentioned something unusual that happened um, to me last week where I, I had a dream. And it wasn't a particularly evil dream. I didn't dream of uh, sort of demons or anything of that order. But it, it was just slightly disturbing to my heart. And uh, I, <clears throat> it didn't prevent me going back to sleep. And I got up and uh, I thought, well, that's strange. I didn't like that particularly much. And then um, I did something which is a little bit unusual for me. Uh, <clears throat> I somehow switched on um, my iPad and somehow there was something... I'm not sure how it came up, but it was something on YouTube uh, and it was a Russian Orthodox church. And it was the, I think it was the heading that sort of interested me. Are they angels or men singing? And so I went on uh, to look at this and it was in a Russian Orthodox church somewhere, I don't know where. And uh, it was four of the Russian Orthodox preachers or priests singing. Um, thankfully, underneath were the words that they were singing. And the words were from Psalm 141. And there's no need to turn to it. But it's the Psalm 41, and these were the words. They were just singing these words. Um, Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And... They were singing this in that kind of mixture of a chant. It was in the minor key. Uh, very, very beautiful for those who appreciate uh, good music. And um, very, very beautiful. And, of course, um, whoever was photographing this, they showed the beautiful insides of the the place where they were singing this. And, of course, you probably know if you've been in those churches, the wonderful pictures that are on the walls and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, of course, obviously it, it influenced me because it took me right in thinking about the incense, the psalm, it took me right in to the place of fragrance, the place of sacrifice, the place in the Old Testament. And it, it, it led me there again to the true values of prayer, to 
true values of worship, um, the true values of ministry, the true values, you know, it's very, very wonderful. The fragrance, and it influenced me to speak in a certain direction last night uh, on the Zoom. And it, it took me right away, of course, uh, into the sanctuary. Um, you, you might remember that there are some psalms that talk about uh, where the psalmist describes that he's, he's discombobulated by events that are happening around about him. He's disturbed, perhaps by voices, by What's, what criticisms that are going on, all kinds of stuff, um, politically, news about the empires rising and this sort of thing. And then he, he says that I, uh, then I went into the sanctuary and he got perspective. And if you wanted to do this, you could just look in the Psalms in the concordance and look up the word sanctuary. And, uh, of course, any of you, I've always valued uh, church buildings. Um, I've always valued places, even the Orthodox churches, where sometimes I've just gone in to look. And uh, Roman Catholic churches, I've gone in to look. Uh, I well remember being in um, Mexico City. And um, Hazel and I were with others in the middle of Mexico City. If any of you know some of the James Bond movies, there's one of them that begins with a whole series of happenings in the main square of Mexico City. And there is a massive Roman Catholic cathedral there. And we went in and I went in and I just sat and... uh, Observed the people coming in the church, this place being open, people coming in. It was about lunch hour, some of them sitting there quietly and um, some of them sitting, doing their rosary and all. It's a very massive building and down toward the end, I could hear someone was obviously speaking. One of the priests was obviously speaking, but I sat there. And then I wandered up the front to where the, and there was about a hundred people sitting and there was an elderly priest sat there on a, on a seat. And I asked, um, Ricardo, who was with me, I said, well, what's he speaking about? And he said, uh, well, he's actually speaking about the ministry of the spirit. And the the reason I say this is that um, even entering that building, for those who have a heart, there it's a sanctuary. There's there's a sound, uh, there's a stillness. I know that to left and right there were sort of images and little grottos and that sort of thing. And I know that if you go into a Greek Orthodox church, you'll find the icons. Um, and if you walk around and, and look at them, you know, we have a friend over there 
in uh, Cyprus. She's an archaeologist by training and uh, she's married and has children, two good sons who love the Lord uh, and a husband. And, you know, she, I asked her about her faith and how it all began. And uh, she's a village girl from up in the hills in uh, toward Trudos in Cyprus. And I said, well, how did it all begin for you? And she said, mother, and uh, mother would take me into the, to the building and uh, she said uh, immediately when I went in there I sensed God and uh, it was a place where I sensed him and so many years ago we had this conversation she, and I said did you used to move around with mum and did you kiss the icons and she said yes I did and mum kissed them and I said, did mum talk about God? Yes, yes, God was in our lives. And I said, you, uh, how, how did it carry on? Well, I heard about Jesus, the chanting went on and so on. And then, uh, so God was always in my life and I knew that I was his somehow, but I didn't know anything about Jesus until I met my, uh, this man in University in Thessaloniki, um, Thessalonica, and um, while I was studying there, and he knew Jesus, and he introduced me to Jesus. In time, he became my husband, <laughs> but um, she married the man who led her to Jesus, and uh, this, you know, this lady has a certain quality about her. Uh, Hazel's frequently in touch with her. She has a quality of submission and humility and a quality of reverence that is intrinsic to her. She has a, a listening ear, a, a heart that is very sensitive to the Lord. It's wonderful to meet people like that around the place. And in a way, she's not dirted by the techniques and the mechanics and the methodologies. And there's an instinct in her toward God, toward his ways, toward his, the, the ways of being meek and quiet. She, she's a lady who has a meek and quiet spirit. And it's, she's, and, and I mention these things, of course, because church, and I'm thinking of the Corinthian letter, and I, I'm, I'm thinking of what Paul, uh, who is the apostle to the Corinthians, as you know, how he was brought to nothing. Now, he would have been a man who had God in his life from the beginning. Um, he had God in his life from the beginning. And he, he was educated into the mechanics of Judaism, um, into the doctrines and the beliefs and the history, which no doubt he loved. And 
you know how the Lord had to deal with him and bring him so low uh, down into the dust uh, to to the place where he heard such a voice and saw such a light and saw such a glory um, that instinctively he knew that whoever it was who was talking with him was Lord. Who art thou, Lord, is what he said. Who art thou, Lord? And he had to be led by the hand, blinded by the light. No one else heard the voice. They, no one else heard what was being said. But he, he heard the voice, not just the words. And he was led by the hand into Damascus. And you remember how the Lord came to him through the ministry of that man, um, Ananias. And the hands were laid on him and the spirit came. And, and, and so it was that Paul passed in to the true ministry. The, many of us have not had this privilege, I don't think. Um, you know, we, we live in a world that is stranger and it's, it's a stranger to what I would call reverence. Quietness, humility, submission. But this is God's native air. This is God's native air. This atmosphere of rest, sublime love, acceptance, uh, belonging. And, you know, when I, when I think of the Corinthian church and what so many of them had come from, the cacophony the cacophony that's a greek word by the way kakos phony it's yeah. it's it's a, a clashing clanging sound banging crashing and we've lived in a world like this and those corinthian christians that we're reading about so many of them had come from this sort of atmosphere Corinthian style, the the dissipation of parties some of them had been in, um, constant noise, some of them had been in the noisy, shouty, prophetic uh, sects and cults and pagan worship and and then the gospel had come to them through Paul and they they were brought in to another kingdom. And it was a moral kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom. They were already actually somewhat familiar with a spirit kingdom, a, a psychic kingdom, and a, a knowledge kingdom, a wisdom kingdom. Um, you know, these are the things that Paul has to remonstrate with them about uh, in those early chapters. You know that uh, the Jews require signs, and the and you Greeks, you you love wisdom. Uh, 
you know, and they thought they were spiritual, but none of this held the Lord God back from bringing them into his kingdom. When they believed, they entered into his kingdom. So the scripture in chapter 6 of First Corinthians has pertinence because into that kingdom they were brought, which was a kingdom of deliverance, a kingdom of power, uh, a kingdom where in some of cases, for sure, they were instantaneously delivered from their homosexuality and from all kinds of other things that he mentions in the list. Um, and it was wrought in them by God. And, you know, that's, I'm quoting from chapter six, and these are good verses to remind ourselves of when he says, you were washed. And verse 11 of chapter six, and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. It was a moral kingdom. And, uh, you know, it's a kingdom to walk up and down in. It's a kingdom to enter into. It's a realm. And every church, its primary calling uh, is to be a microcosm on earth of that kingdom. Its calling is to be in, in its locality, a place where God is, a sanctuary place, a holy place, a place of reverence, a place of mutual submission, a place of holiness, a place of love, a place of mutual care, uh, a place where there are ways in which the head of the church wonderfully ministers and ministers through various members, one to the other, a place of instruction, uh, a place of revelation. It's, it's a place not of entertainment and show. Um, this is real church as, and into this, of course, the Corinthians had entered and they had not gone on into it as much as they should have done. And in fact, they had misconstrued what spirituality is um, in a number of ways. They had missed in some parts the issues of the work of Christ, the cross, the implicit place of uh, the only way to love yourself is to love God and your neighbor first. Uh, They'd got it, you know, they hadn't yet learned that, so many of them. There is an appropriate place for self-love, but it is only appropriate in the context of thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, 
with all our minds. And, you know, thinking back to my archaeologist friend, before she knew Jesus, she loved God. And that's a, a remarkable thing. And, of course, Paul, in his strange way, he loved God before he knew it was Jesus. And these are remarkable things. And to begin to discern people, to discriminate people, uh, to begin to recognize that, um, you know, Jesus said the only ground that brings forth fruit is a good and honest heart. Jesus said that. So if a person has a heart filled up with stone, a lot of stoniness in it, that all has to be broken up and ripped up uh, so that that heart, and one of the greatest battles with men and women, you will discover is to bring us to transparent honesty before God. That's a great battle. And with some of us, you know, it takes years. It takes years. And, and it is easy once a heart becomes honest and it becomes good and honest hearted ground plowed up can receive the seed with ease. And, you know, the world is full of trickery. And the snake ever evades Calvary. So the snake in Peter uh, avoided Calvary at first. And, and the rest of them, you know, it slithers round the cross and the way of the cross. And we, we're all partakers in this. We, we're all partakers. And I've been a partaker and... It is only the mercies of the Lord that bring us to the order of God. And in this 14th chapter, and God orders Calvary. God ordered the cross. Um, and in this 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you must expect a, a significant central verse that captures the essence of everything that the Lord really wants to say to the Corinthian church. And the verse, if you're interested to look at it, the, the verse is this very short one where <clears throat> you, you probably know it quite well. And though you may have never thought of it in this kind of way, he's been describing the meetings and uh, he's been talking about the richness of things that ought to be in their meetings in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14. And then he says this, verse 33, this is your key verse, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God is not the author of confusion, 
bud of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Very important verse about God. If I may encourage you in the reading of 1 Corinthians, something that you could do is with a notebook by the side of you, just look at the particular things that Paul says about God. Just just look at that, about God, not about Jesus, uh, not about the Spirit particularly, but just about God, the doctrine of God. So uh, Paul says something in the 15th chapter, if you slip over there. Um, he, he says in verse 33 of chapter 15, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. That's precisely what had happened in the Corinthians' lives. They'd gotten into bad company. And if you get into bad company, spiritually speaking, even church speaking, and some of us have, some of us have, it'll corrupt good habits, the habits that make for goodness, the habits that make for purity, the habits that make for the kind of reverential, holy, glad, restful life. So some of you have been in charismatic circles and in your enthusiasms in some of those circles, you probably didn't realize it was happening, but you were in evil company. There were demons working in the midst of all the enthusiasm and the zeal and people were being taken off track and into error. And the result of that was confusion and moral impurity and such manner of things. And Paul goes on in this verse, in verse 34 of chapter 15, he says, Awake to righteousness. And do not sin, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Some have not the knowledge of God. Imagine being in a church and some in that church have not the knowledge of God. Imagine what practices they will bring in imagine what stupidity especially if they're leaders they will bring in imagine what um, extremes they will lead people into if they have not the knowledge of God the knowledge of God to be intimate with God to know God to know the way he orders things will immediately slay the demonic element that even suggests that there can be such a thing as same-sex marriage. To know God slays that error stone dead. I have no shame or uh, hesitance to specifically say anyone writing a book who purports to be a Christian justifying same-sex marriage is demonized 
he has given way to a demon and he has not the knowledge of God because those who have the knowledge of God they know that God is father and father is not son and son is not father that in their unity there is difference and that man was made in the image of God and therefore in that image is manifested difference and one of the reasons for the incredible vanity in things like homosexual relationships that makes them so unstable is that a man falls in love with himself in another man. And as I said last night on the Zoom, there, to marry a woman for a man is dangerous. She's different. What's she like? She's different to him. She thinks differently. It's a challenge. He doesn't marry himself. And for a woman to marry a man, he doesn't marry himself. But the root of all these confusions that are entering into the churches is that people, there are those in prominent places who have not the knowledge of God. And you all realize, of course, that the result of the absence of the knowledge of God will be confusion. It will be disarray. It will be, that's back in chapter 14, verse 33. You'll be back, not in shalom, irini, The word for peace, you notice that in verse 33 of 14, chapter 14, verse 33. God is not the author of confusion, but of Irini. And that is the Greek version of this wonderful word in Hebrew, uh, shalom. Shalom, which you know means much more than simply peace. It means well-being. Even the word Irene in Greek has this meaning of well-being, wholeness, wholeness in soul, your whole spirit, soul and body be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 5. You know, uh, you know, God is not the author of confusion. Of um, I can't remember the Greek word for confusion, but it 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 has this word um, in it. It's a it's a compound word that includes the word of as uh, that we translate um, stand, um, and it has it's not all standing together. It's confused. It's not all standing together. You know, Hazel was saying this afternoon and reminding us we were talking about the resurrection. And I remember the first time I preached in Sweden and my, I, I was speaking, I must have been speaking on the resurrection and my interpreter, I used the word resurrection <laughs> and the uh, interpreter says, upstanden, which is the word in Swedish for 
resurrection, upstanding, standing up, coming up, wonderful. Wonderful when you, when you think about that and, uh, stasis. And you probably know that in Greek, Anastasis, you've heard of the Russian queens and princesses, Anastasia, uh, raised again, standing again. That's what that name means. Anna again, Stasis, standing again. And now, isn't it wonderful to think that a church is called to be uh, something where, which is a sanctuary where, where there's a wholeness, where, you know, there is uh, Irini, there's Shalom, Shalom, Shalom. And those of us who are in leadership in churches, you know, that's what we're, that's what it's all about. You know, that there should be shalom, that there should be wholeness. So important, brothers and sisters. You know, when Jesus talked to some of the people, do you remember the paralytic? You know, Jesus did not say to him, do you, do you want to be healed? Jesus wasn't saying about his body. Wilt thou be made whole? Much deeper, much deeper. Wilt thou be made whole? I talk to you. Do you want to be made whole? And you might say, well, why are you saying these things to us? Well, of course, it's because the way that he does that is through his arms and legs and mouth, through his touch, through the things that we call the gifts of the Spirit. This is, of course, Mark. I listened to Mark preach this morning in Heathfield and was so glad to hear him. And what's he there for? You know, what's he there for? What am I here for tonight? You know, um, how many hours of sleep did I get last night? I got to bed at three and, uh, you know, maybe four and a half hours of sleep. And, uh, I didn't get any nap this afternoon, uh, cause I was thinking about this meeting. And, um, so I resisted temptations to slumber. What am I here for? What do you go to meetings for? to be made whole and to help make others whole. And this should be a motivation to you, brothers and sisters. You know, oh, Lord, grant to me gifts as it pleases you, abilities as it pleases you, so that I can be a participator with you. In this wonderful making of people whole. You know, the Lord gave us a prophetic word this morning and Paul, uh, sorry, Mark was really corroborating it in the preaching. You know, the, 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 the prophetic word was, 
was all, all about uh, the promise of the gospel. My wife wrote some of it down and she just passed me the notes. The promise of the gospel is new life to everyone. To know the Spirit of God rising through all things, all the way through. God has not forsaken, forgotten his creation. He's not forgotten. He's not neglected. He, he, the Lord carried on saying, Resurrection, resurrection. And begin this week. You can come up through the rock. You can become a new creature. This is what the ministry is all about. Um, and and he, he promised various things. I won't go on. You see, and therefore, even in a prophetic word and the word preached and what was going on there in that meeting this morning was the wonderful wonderful mind and spirit of the Lord speaking again, saying, I'm not alive from the dead for myself alone, but I'm alive from the dead for you. And I gathered you into my bosom and took you to your death and took you to your burial. And with me, you can rise in newness of life beginning now. And this is the content. This is the, an, an end to wholeness you can come. Isn't that a, a wonderful thing? If we must not lose sight of the promise, we mustn't lose sight of the promise. That's why when you come into chapter 15, after Paul is finished this section about the gatherings of the saints, he he will open chapter 15 with, uh, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. And you know which you received and which you stand and by which you are saved. There's no way you're going to be saved by a psychological gospel. There's no way we're going to be saved by a therapeutic gospel, you know, that just wants to mess around with the, you know, tinker with the souls of men. You know, the, the gospel, there's the only gospel that brings wholeness is, is this promise of wholeness through Jesus Christ. And of course, all these, all these gifts, are contributory to this. That's, that's the context of them. So that prophecy that Paul is so promoting to the Corinth, to the Corinthian church, they got so out of order, you know, because of their lack of the knowledge of God and that had led to a confusion about what spirituality was. So they thought that they could marry, uh, measure their spirituality by how much they spoke in tongues and jabbered away together and how free they were from the bondages of um, this and that. And uh, isn't it sad? You know, and it's not sad in another way for our benefit because Paul says, oh, 
he, he says, you pursue love, but at the same time desire the spirituals. That's how he brings, bring, I don't know if you've got those two things in your life. Now, don't tell me, you see, well, I'm a cessationist. I don't believe in the gifts of the spirit of the today. Well, do you know that's a stupid idea, really? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he was forever expressing the love of God by a healing gift, by a prophetic word, by you know, uh, a discernment of a spiritual state is whole and he's the same today, only his body is different. You're part of it. I'm part of it. You know, and he's the same absolutely today. And, you know, it's not enough to say, well, I'm pursuing love. You know, desire spirituals desire them desire them and the best atmosphere where the spirituals will emerge in my life and yours is if i'm in the sanctuary life if i'm in the inward life if i'm in the intuitive life if i'm in the sensitive life if i'm there in the large life, when I th think back in my mind, just as I say that, and I think of that um, that group of four men singing that psalm about the incense, you know, in that beautiful edifice, you know, and you sometimes think, well, why did they build buildings like that? And why were the spires so high? And why was it all well, one of the reasons, as you know, architecturally, they wanted us to know that God is great and vast and points us ever upwards and is heavenly blue, if you know. That's one of the colors in Russian Orthodox and Greek Orthodox and so on. You know, even colors mean something. We, they wanted to show, oh, God is so great. And, you know, those of us who, you know, love the thought of house churches, you mustn't go to the opposite position where you think, oh, let's all sit on a comfy chair, <laughs> you know, and let's put our feet up and have our coffee cups beside us, you know, and let's uh, have a chin wag together spiritually and, you know, get all intimate and you lose sight. Aren't we small people, eh? We tend, how much we need the knowledge of God, eh, to keep us in, in the wholeness. Am I making sense as I say these things to us, you see? Oh, it's it's so wonderful. Desire the spirituals, the spiritual gifts. They thrive almost without thought in the ground of a meek and quiet 
and joyful and restful heart in God that loves. Because you cannot lay down on the green bed of God's grace and not pick up the fragrance of his blessed, blessed, blessed perfumes. It is impossible to lay down to lay down. As I said last night, I came in on Friday from being out on my walk and Hazel had been entertaining a lady in here who had gone. But she did not have to say, Anne has been in and we've had coffee. Hazel did not have to tell me it was Anne that had been in. Because Anne had left her perfume behind. <laughs> she uses a particular perfume, which I am familiar with. Uh, not personally in the sense I don't use it. <laughs> but I've smelt it on, on her before. <laughs> you know, and she'd left it there. That's Jesus. That's That's what it's all about. You know, you... Lay down your head on his breast. This is why John, as I said last night, you know, there is a secret, a simple secret, why the book of the Revelation was given to John. And it is this, that he is and was the lover who knew the breast of Jesus better than any of them. And to love is given the best gifts. And I'll tell you this, though I haven't got time to justify it. John's ministry was key to the salvation of Peter. His friend, Peter. And I haven't got time to justify that, but if you were to look with great, great care into the Gospels and the events that relate to Peter and John, you would find that John so was a saving factor in Peter's life. Such a key man to Peter. And it's wonderful to have those who exemplify the way of love, pursue love and covet the best gifts. And from this condition will come inspired utterance. Now, I don't want to use the word prophecy tonight, particularly, though it comes again and again. What do you mean by prophecy? Well, I mean inspired utterance. Utterance coming through you that is God-breathed. That is God-breathed. That's what real prophecy is. That which is God-breathed. Yes, it may at times deal with current events. God-breathing through a spokesman or woman concerning his view of current events. 
events that are going to occur. Sometimes it means that. Yes, sometimes the inspired utterance. You know that inspired, you know, has to do, you know, the prophet expires what has been inspired. The person who's speaking prophetically, you know, he has breathed in the fragrance of God. He's breathed in the wisdom of God. He's breathed in the truth of God. He's breathed in the thoughts of God, not necessarily always consciously, but because he's been in the neighborhood of God. And then that same inspiring spirit causes him or her to expire those words, to to let them out in that same spirit. So preachers, preachers learn this, that the word does not come from you. That is not doesn't it doesn't come from your diligent study of the scripture it comes from dependence on the spirit the spirit quickens the word to you the spirit quickens perhaps a verse of scripture to you in a way that you've never seen it before the spirit uh is the origin he begins to show you something underneath in that verse that is rich and wonderful and then you must learn to meditate on those things in the same spirit that gave them to you for it's always the spirit that gives life not the word it's the spirit in the word and so you learn to meditate in the same spirit, with reliance on the same spirit, living in that same spirit, musing in that same spirit, perhaps looking to that blessed spirit to lead you, even in your thinking, perhaps to another corroborating verse, uh, to open up the section of scripture to you. And... Uh, so you do your preparation in that same spirit. And then you go to that meeting where you are scheduled to speak, or uh, maybe you're not scheduled to speak, but you're, you're going with the word in your heart. And this isn't just for preachers. You, you're going with the word in your heart, with the love in your heart. And as you arrive there, it should be a meeting that's already in the spirit. So everything it, it, there in that gathering is ripe for what comes by that same spirit. So people sitting there, are spiritually tuned, spiritually attentive in that meek frame of mind that is appropriately teachable because it's not enough. And then 
Maybe if you are a preacher, you're scheduled and they say, say to you, Bernard, your turn, up you get, boy, you know, and don't be too long or something. <laughs> and uh, isn't that miserable? But, um, you know, get, get now away you go. And that same spirit from which the word came, that same spirit in which you waited upon God, that same spirit that you came into the meeting in, by that same spirit you must speak. You see, by that same enabling spirit you speak, and those who listen will gain nothing much at all unless they in their hearts are saying, oh, Spirit of God, speak to me. They may not be putting in those kind of words. You see, this is the end of people throwing out their opinions. This is the end of it. This is the death to all the, you know, the stupidities that go on in church meetings. This is the, you know, and this that I'm saying about speaking is equally true about song, you know, you're going to read about the richness of meetings here. You you know the verse in verse 26, many of you. How is it then, brethren, when you, whenever you come together, that's what my version says, whenever you come together, each one of you has. Now, I'm speaking about an ideal. Imagine if everyone came in the spirit, each one of you would have. Each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Now, this is an ad hoc list. Do you understand he's not containing everything? He doesn't even move, use, say, prophecy in this list. Did you know that? Notice that? Doesn't even have it in the list. He's just bringing out things. Each one of you, you know, there's a place for song, psalm. Uh, there's a place for a teaching. Is instruction has a place, has a tongue, has a revelation. Now that could include a vision, couldn't it? Or the description of a dream, you know, for you understand it's the whole heart of God to bring about shalom to everybody. That's what it's all about, brothers and sisters. That's why Paul goes on and he says at the end of verse 26, let all things be done unto edification unto building up oh how wonderful i was having a conversation with someone this afternoon on the on another zoom thing whatever you call it and uh, they were speaking in disappointment having just come from their their meeting and uh, you know how little of the breath of God was in the gathering, you know. And he said to me, well, why is it, brother? Why is it? We've been with them four years. 
and uh, they're closed. And I said, that's that's why, that, that's it, they're, they're closed. And I said to them, they're like a hard old walnut. You know, they've just, they fell off the tree quite a long while ago, you know, and several seasons they've never been cracked open and their shell's gone black and hard, you know, and they're content to be like that. And I said to this man, and you may not like to hear me say this, I said it may come to the point where if God doesn't bring an almighty nutcracker to crack them open, you might as well walk away. You know, you might as well walk away. You know, and I, I asked him point blank and I said, it is one thing for people to be stuck in the main, but are there two or three or four who are just beginning to move forward? Are there some? You see, this is what religion can do. Do we understand that it was religion that killed Jesus? It was religion that took him there. We understand that. That's how hard, it's the greatest hardness of all. You know, it's it's a terrible, terrible thing. And you know, when... Paul, he's wanting to liberate the Corinthians into this large realm. He said, well, if you keep on speaking in tongues, nobody understands you. What profit is that? Mm. But if there's prophetical utterance in the way that I've tried to, inspired utterance, God inspiring words. He said in some cases, if there's someone who is among you who is uninformed and not clear, uh, he'll be convinced, you know, because heart of God will speak and right through into that person's heart. That's what he's talking about in verse 24 and 25, isn't it? In verse, you know, the secrets of his heart. Isn't it a marvellous thing? When I think of this in songs, you see, of course there is singing in church. Of course. And in this country, we may come to the time, brothers and sisters, where if the government keeps insisting on interfering with the gatherings of God's people where they have no right where they have no right to decree. It is God's house, not Boris Johnson's house. It may be that we will have to defy, to defy. And the beginnings of the defiance of uh, man gone mad. And, uh, you know, uh, of course, I can say that to you as someone who has spent much time in communist countries and places where people met in fear and without doubt I would say to you that the best gatherings I've never hardly ever known in my life took place in such quarters where only those who were determined to gather unto God no matter what the cost 
met. And um, you know, of course, there's singing in the church, but it's not all this mechanistic show, and it's not the stage, and it's not the place where the band take over and display their expertise, where we have to wait for them to do their riffs and exp- and show their expertises in between this, that, and the other. And we have to, it's not that, it's the voice, brothers and sisters, it's the words, brothers and sisters, the purpose of melody and harmony and rhythm is to be a hand made for the words. And that must get right into our hearts. And it's not the place, you know, for soloists to display their expertise and their trills in their voices and their undulations such you get in what's called singing now on America's Got Talent or this one or that one or the other. You know, it's a place of purity where things are not twisted. You know, it's so important. And people might say, oh, that Bernard Hans, a stupid old goat. What does he know? You know, he's just not with it. His day is over. Soon as in the grave, it's better. You know, but you know, these things do not change for the 21st century, uh, century generation. It doesn't change for generation X, brothers and sisters. In the end, as I said to that young man who got up in the meeting and shouted at me years ago, I thought people like you were extinct. Oh, what do you mean? Well, you're a dinosaur. That's what he said to me. Nice to be interrupted in the preaching. (laughs) You know, you're a dinosaur. (laughs) And I remember so clearly what I said to him. Young man, I'll be relevant to you in 15 years time. And I have to say many, many years later, there was a phone call. And this young man, by now, it's probably 20 years. He, he, he sought me out and phoned me up and he said, what you said that day, I'm that young man who called you a dinosaur. You were right. You see, it doesn't change for Genesis, Generation X and Generation Y. That doesn't mean to say that those of us who are older in years should be ornery and difficult. Of course not. But I tell you, don't bend to fashion. Don't allow the church to be tortured by fashion. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of churches that we know that that, um, kowtowed to the will of the youth and lost their way. Lost their way. There's places where you see the the primary reason is that the music is the handmade for the words. Same thing, the inspired words. So uh, this I read some of this last night, you know, happy the souls that first believed. Here's some inspired words in poetic meter. Long meter, doesn't matter if you don't know what LM means. To Jesus and each other, 
cleaved. You know, happy the souls that first believed to Jesus and each other cleaved. Cleaved. Not only to Jesus, but to each other cleaved. You know, joined. Joined by an unction from above in mystic fellowship of love. Wonderful. Wonderful. Joined by an unction from above. What does that mean? Something divine has joined you to one another. No one joins the church. God joins them. And you don't join someone else in the church. You are joined by God to that brother who has been joined by God to the church. Am I making myself clear? It is God who joins us. That should be the bedrock of marriage, though you may never have known uh, God when you met your spouse, later you should come to know God joined us as man and wife. One of the things for some of us who were married when we both knew God, we knew that God was joining us. I knew that God was joining me to Hazel. And I knew that God was joining Hazel to me and she knew that God was doing it. And it's that union that holds us together. It's deeper than even the natural affections that should deepen. Now my wife is leaving the meeting, crawling on her hands and knees, lest she should be seen. <laughs> she says, I'll be back. <laughs> You know, my lovely wife. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. But anyway, you know, life is fun with Hazel. You never know what you're going to get next. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, it's, it's a tremendous thing. You know, joined by an unction from above. I mean, I'm joined to you. God joined me. To so many of you, you were joined to me. You didn't think it was a, you know, fanciful idea. You know, this is what God does. God is the architect of the church and the builder. Amen. And if only we'd give him room. You know, you know, joined by an unction from above in mystic fellowship of love. I mean, can you give one another up? I mean, can you? You see, that's the thing. You're joined in a mystic fellowship of love. You know, I always remember I was up near that prison, uh, near Sacramento, and I was preaching in a church, and one of the members of the church was that man who paints all the pictures, um, uh, the light painter, what was his name? Thomas Kincaid. And he was part of the church there and others were there. And they'd, they'd been through a massive division. It was horrible. And a, a lady was deputed to drive me down to Sacramento Airport. And we drove down from up there near Lake Tahoe. And, uh, you know, we got to talk and I said, tell me a little bit about yourself. He said, well, I'm quite a new believer. And 
and she went into a store and I said, and I know that the church has gone through a terrible split. And she said, yes, leaders and this and that and the other. And she said, it was so painful to me. I didn't understand it. I thought the church was a place of love. And she said, it was like the heartbreak of my divorce all over again. That's how she described it. I never forget the conversation. You know, where the mystic fellowship of love had been broken, you know. And God is not pleased because we're joined in a mystic fellowship of love that that is so wonderful. And this is, of course, a part of a song that Wesley wrote. And it's tremendous to just to, to recognize there's a place for, you know, psalms and teachings and tongues now it's 22 minutes past eight and i was told i went on too long last night so i won't go on <clears throat> too long tonight um but i go to half past eight and then stop and any anyway here you've got all this fullness paul is trying to tell us a little bit about this fullness of everything and as you go down toward the end of the chapter you know he he sets this matter of order and i i mention this to you and perhaps we go into more detail on another occasion but he says uh, if anyone speaks in a tongue in that's verse 27 let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. And let me say this to you. No one really knows. You know, I have been in churches where they embrace that scripture. And there was a number of tongue-speaking people. And they knew that there was someone in the assembly that spoke uh, and was able to interpret. and. So the way they embraced that scripture was that two or three spoke in a tongue, one after the other. And then one interpreted the three. Has everyone understood what I've just said? And then I've been in churches where they embraced that scripture and said, no, one speak in tongue and then one interpret. Then another person speak in tongue and uh, another person interpret. And But the fact of the matter that Paul is wanting to get home, whether it's one or the other, of course, is the inspired utterance that there is the breathing of God taking place spontaneously at that point. And one of the wonderful functions of tongues, and if I may encourage you in this, those of you who speak in tongues, in private do it more. Mm Because in spirit you are speaking mysteries. And there will be possibly an occasion where in time to come what you were speaking in a tongue and you were talking to God will come out in revelation in your 
vernacular, in your understanding, in your mind. It, you, you will be fed by it in your mind later. At the moment when you speak in a tongue, uh, privately and alone, take for instance if you go for a walk. Mm-hmm. And you're walking along. It's, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't just speak to the Lord in your tongue. And talk to the Lord. And at that point, your mind is unfruitful. But your spirit is being edified. It says that in this very chapter. Your spirit is being edified. It is doing your inner spirit good. To talk to God in a language you don't understand. And you're talking to him. You're talking to him. And it may be that in time to come, that that which you spoke in such a way, maybe months later, that you would discover that the source of that that comes into your vernacular, into the realm of your mind, Mm. was actually something that by that same spirit you spoke in a tongue, many months earlier. Now translate all this into the church, into the gatherings. You know, it is a tremendous thing where perhaps someone speaks in a tongue and it's like turning on a tap. And then that tap turns on and it continues to flow in an interpretation through someone else, that same spirit. This is part of the intention of God, is to get the river of wholeness flowing, the clear, crystal, flowing river flowing. So that I certainly have been in meetings where A whole meeting has been given over to prophetical utterance where there have been two or three who maybe have prophesied several times and it has been recorded. And I think of a one brother that uh, where this happened to us in a meeting in Exeter and we went upstairs after the meeting and we sat and we listened to an hour of prophecies that had come out of our own mouths. And some months later, I said to him, when I met up with him, and what have you been preaching on while you've been wherever it was he'd been? And he said, you remember those prophetic utterances? They opened up to me a fresh understanding in the scripture and of the Lord. And that's what I've been preaching on. It was like a tap turning on. It was like an opening of levels of understanding. And that's what truth is like. Those of you who are musicians will know about this musically speaking. I feel like a great ignoramus when sometimes I've been asked to speak 
on music a bit. And, you know, I almost begin by saying I'm an ignoramus, really. I hardly know a thing because music is like a great onion, never ending. There are layers and layers and layers and layers. You understand? And the things of God are like that. So I returned to John last week and I see chapter four in a way that I hadn't seen before. And I saw chapter five in a way I hadn't seen before. You understand. And there's ever more that, and all of it, all of it does, it, it works in your soul to, to, to make you whole. And it makes you want to help others to see what you see. And, you know, when Paul writes to them about the prophets speaking, those who prophesy, you may all prophesy. Now, let this be clear to all of us. Verse 31, you can all have inspired utterance. One by one, you can all. That doesn't mean to say it will always happen. And it doesn't mean it means everyone, every meeting. You imagine if it meant that, what a, when would the meeting stop? But when he says this, you can all, this includes ladies. I want to say that categorically. Because anything that is in verse 34 onwards and down to the end of verse 35 cannot eradicate what has gone before it. And what went before it in chapter 11 was this. In chapter 11 turned there and it says quite clearly that the woman can pray and prophesy. It's quite categorical. Paul is in the total expectancy that ladies will be involved in this whole wonderful realm of, uh, of edification, of the flow of the Spirit. This is not man's province. So that there are some scholars uh, who, knowing the Greek and the cons constructs of things, they feel that verses 34 and 35 were an interpolation, something that was put in later, because the flow of the argument flows from the end of verse 33 into the beginning of verse 36. That's the flow of the argument. And verse 34 and 35 are stuck in between and they interfere with the flow of the argument. So if you were to read it from verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets for God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Or did the word come out from you originally, verse 36? Or was it from you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself a prophet, and so it goes on, the flow of the argument is from the end of 33 
through to the beginnings of verse 36 is very important. Now, you might want me to talk a little bit about 1 Timothy chapter 2 another day, because that will give you a, a little clue about the male-female. But you notice that Paul is is very much encouraging us, or you may all prophesy, you can all, it's, it's for all, you know, inspired utterance that heals, that blesses, that refreshes, you know, and you notice this first, because this is part of God's ordering. Let, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. Now, this is not prophet prophets, this is those that are prophesying, those who are prophesying. Let two or three speak and let the others discriminate. Not the other prophets, let people pay attention. This isn't a free for all. This isn't the manipulation psychically of people who are supposed to be gifted. Now listen to this. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. This is not interfering with your powers of discernment, your basic powers of knowing whether something is to be attended to, something is to be put on the shelf, something is to be rejected. You're to judge. So you're not to just flow on and flow on. And that goes for us preachers to everyone who's involved in this ministry. Let others judge. Let others discriminate. Let others consider. Let others pay attention and take their time on it. Before that same spirit that I've been trying to say is to be the one in the midst of the church. Now, I said I'd stop at 8.30 and I've gone five minutes over already. So I'll stop um, by distinct choice um, right now and if we need to return again. But I hope these things are somehow, oh, I, I you know, just thrilling your heart. Mm -hmm thrilling your heart and say oh lord will you do this and he will he will he, he the days are coming there's no doubt when the church will find itself in straits that will press us in to a greater realm of simplicity of gathering straits will come yeah those of you in canada probably know about uh, was it in Saskatchewan or was it, no, it was Alberta, wasn't it? Where the Polish uh, pastor threw the police out of the congregation. You have no right here. They were trying to do something to them. Uh, close them down. Did you know about that? No, those of you in Canada? Yeah, yeah. happened, I think, yesterday. A Polish congregation and the pastor's said you had no place here anyway hallelujah mm. um whether he did it nicely or horribly or whatever <laughs> but uh i don't know but amen mm. okay mark I, you know i'm 
<laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, thank yeah. you, Bernard. Let's uh, let's take a moment to to pray and to respond to the Lord's word spoken to us and express our hearts to mm. to Him and to pour our hearts out to Him. Just if you feel it to lead us in prayer, that would be wonderful. Just um, unmute yourself and uh, if you just lead in prayer, that would be that would be great. 